how to not let fear cripple you, how to take action in spite of fear, how to create a personal narrative for your life that generates both hope and optimism, the most important change that he made in his life, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 419 with management consultant, author, speaker, and entrepreneur, John Hagel III. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Best You Podcast with me, your host, Nick Carrier. At Best You, we exist to help individuals get closer to the best version of themselves because when they do, they are better off, their friends, family, community, and their world are better off because of it. One way we do this is through the 10-week transformation where we help people build the healthy habits that transform their self-confidence, their body, and their life. If you're interested in building self-confidence and healthy habits, then go to nickcarrier.com slash 10W. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 10WT. Today, I'm really excited to introduce you to John Hagel III. John has more than 40 years experience as a management consultant, author, speaker, and entrepreneur. After recently retiring as a partner from Deloitte, McGraw-Hill published his new book, The Journey Beyond Fear, that addresses the psychology of change, and he is developing a series of programs to help people navigate through change at many levels. You can go grab your copy of The Journey Beyond Fear on Amazon and at johnhagel.com. Also, while at Deloitte, John was the founder and chairman of the Silicon Valley-based Deloitte Center for the Edge, which is focusing on identifying emerging business opportunities that are not yet on the CEO's agenda. Before diving into the episode, be sure you're subscribing to the Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and be sure you share this episode with a friend or family member while you're listening. All you have to do is send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, then I would love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only John Hagel III. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast today. I am really excited to be joined by the one and only John Hagel. Uh, John, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. No, I appreciate the opportunity for sure. Yeah, no doubt. So when I read about the topic of your most recent book, I uh, The Journey Beyond Fear, which I haven't been able to completely finish yet, got in the mail a few days ago, but I've been able to get a little over halfway through and I've been absolutely loving it and I can't wait to finish. But the reason why I was so drawn to it and knew that this was going to be such a, an important podcast episode to have is just because uncertainty is, I think, one of the most important things that we need to experience. However, so many people allow it to present them with a high level of fear so that they don't handle the uncertainty in the best way possible. And so I know that we're going to be able to give some people some great mindset shifts and some great practical skills to be able to essentially approach uncertainty and change in a better way than they might be doing currently. But the way I kind of want to start today is I know that a lot of your work and this work in particular is influenced by when you were a child, you were moving all the time and and you always kind of felt this certain sense of aloneness because you would form some friends and then move and completely lose touch with them. And so you always had a changing environment and changing relationships. But my question kind of start off is, is there been, has there been a most important change for you up to this point? in your life. And that could be, again, a move. It could be a career change. It could be anything. Has there been a most important change for you that you feel like you've experienced? 
throughout your life? Oh boy. Well, it's hard to, uh, there've been a lot of important changes, but one that comes to mind is, uh, it was 42 years ago. Now I made the decision to, uh, move to Silicon Valley. Um, I had, I visited it, but I'd never lived here. And, um, it, uh, I was drawn for many reasons, but in particular, two. One was the sense of optimism. Everybody that I ran into in the valley was driven by opportunity and excitement about opportunity um, and uh, optimism about it. And and then um, the, the fact that this was a, an area that was driving a lot of the innovation around digital technology. And the combination of those two really um, excited me, helped to feed my my excitement and motivation, and um, I never looked back. Yeah, well, I'm actually really glad that you jumped into that because I kind of want to dive into a little bit of the content of the book, and I'll do my best to describe what you talk about in a concise and accurate manner, but obviously make the the adjustments that you need to. But you just made a really important point. Why you moved to Silicon Valley is the optimism that that city had, the essentially narrative of. And one of the biggest things that you do in the beginning of your book is distinguish the difference between story and narrative and the importance of narrative from a personal standpoint, from an institutional standpoint, from a geographical standpoint, and how there are a lot of cities who have a great narrative right now. And that's why people are moving there. And I think that's why I'm from, I live in Nashville. And I think that's why a lot of people are, are moving to Nashville because of the narrative that Nashville offers. And so the kind of the way I want to transition is how to apply kind of a personal narrative to our life in a way that provides us with hope and excitement about our future. I know that was still pretty, pretty broad, but I wanted to kind of let you run with that. Okay, I think it's important to make a distinction because at least for most people, when you talk about narrative, I think we're talking about stories. Stories and narrative, same thing. That's it. No, at least the way I focus on it, I make a big distinction between stories and narratives. Stories are self-contained. They have a beginning, a middle, and an end to them. And the story is about the storyteller or it's about some other people, real or imagined. It's not about you. The distinction for me is a narrative is open-ended. There is no resolution yet. There's some kind of big threat or opportunity out in the future, not clear whether it's going to be achieved or not. And there's a call to action to say you, your actions, your choices are going to help determine how this narrative resolves. And so I think, again, to your point, this plays out at many levels, starting with individuals. But at the individual level, on a personal narrative, I know in the psychology profession, psychologists talk all the time about personal narrative. It's all about the story of your life. Tell me how you got to where you are today. And it's the end. You are where you are today. It's over. That's it. No, when I talk about personal narrative, I'm talking about what's your view of the future? Is it primarily driven by threat or by opportunity? And what call to action do you have to others to address that future with you? And in my experience, very few people actually have articulated that personal narrative. And when they do, they start to realize, oh, my God, it's not the narrative that serves me the best. I need to focus on a different form of the future and have a different call to action to others. 
What do you think is the biggest reason why a lot of people's narrative of their future potentially primarily consists of threat rather than opportunity? Yeah. And again, it was the catalyst for the book that I wrote was um, increasingly around the world. I'm seeing that the dominant emotion is fear. And I think it's a function of personal narratives where increasingly we're looking ahead and seeing the threats in the future and afraid and want to just hold on to what we have. And I think that it's understandable at one level. I mean, I talk about the big shift. It's my research that I've been doing for decades, uh, the changes that are transforming the global economy and society. And one dimension of the big shift is mounting performance pressure on all of us. Competition is intensifying globally. Pace of change is accelerating. Things we thought we could count on are no longer there. Because of all the connectivity around the world, some small event in a faraway place in the world quickly cascades into an extreme disruptive event. It leaves us scrambling. That's a lot of pressure. And it's understandable why many people, when they look into that, have the future of more and more of this kind of thing, say, oh, my God, I'm afraid. This is scary. So. So, so talk about, you know, a lot of people are, are feeling all those things right now and the uncertainty and the, and the rapid change. How do we change our viewpoint from this being a, not a threat, but actually an opportunity? Well, first of all, it's, it's making the effort to look ahead into the future because I think very few of us actually explicitly or systematically make that effort. And the, the paradox of the big shift, the, again, based on the research that I've done, is on the one side, it is creating mounting performance pressure on all of us. At the very same time, those forces are also creating exponentially expanding opportunity. Hmm. We can create far more value with far less resource, far more quickly than would have been imaginable a few decades ago. But if you're driven by fear, you can't even see the opportunities, much less have the motivation to pursue them. So again, I think it's making that effort to step back and say, is the future just threatening? Is it all about threat or are there opportunities out there and are there opportunities that could really excite me and motivate me? And starting to focus on those versus the threats that are out there. Has there been any particular thing that stands out to you in your life where you originally saw something in your own personal future as threatening in the beginning and you found a way to find a new opportunity instead of seeing it as a threat? No, it's complicated. Part of the book is it's a bit of a personal memoir. I talk about my childhood and I had a very dysfunctional and challenging childhood confronting a lot of anger. And one of the ways I had of dealing with that was to retreat into my bedroom and read science fiction books. And at the time, this was a long time ago, the science fiction books were all utopia. It was all about the amazing futures ahead, incredible opportunities that were going to be achieved. And so that gave me inspiration and allowed me to at least have some balance that, yeah, the present is really challenging and dealing with a lot, but there's huge opportunity out in the future. And that kept me going. And I think, again, the, the 
the move to Silicon Valley was something that really fed that to say that uh, the optimism out here and the sense of opportunity really inspired me. Yeah. I think one of the things that, you know, you just talked about how when there was that fear or loneliness or uncertainty, you went to reading these books. And, and one of the things that you talk about how fear creates kind of three different reactions and or emotions from us, if I'm saying that correctly. One of them is risk aversion. The second one is a shortened time horizon. And the third one is kind of a zero sum view of the world. And so it seems like that first one is the example you were just talking about how you had this level of uncertainty and or fear and you rang to risk aversion through reading these books. I want you to talk a little bit about the three that I just mentioned and talk about how it shows up in, in people's lives so that people can be aware of it when it does show up in people's lives. Yeah, I think, again, it's a consequence of uh, the fear that is spreading around the world. It's understandable at one level because of the mounting performance pressure, but I think it's also very limiting. I mean, this notion of shrinking your time horizons in a rapidly changing world, if you're not looking ahead and really trying to anticipate what's coming, you're going to be increasingly a challenge. And the, the notion of a zero-sum view of the world, it's win-lose. I mean, a natural consequence of fear is erosion of trust. I can't trust anybody. I, it's too risky. i got to just focus on what I can do, and I'm becoming more and more isolated, and it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle. The more isolated I become, the more fearful I become. And so I think it's, again, while it's understandable as an emotion, it's also very limiting, and we need to find ways to move beyond it. I kind of want to dive into that second one a little bit further, the the shortened time horizon where it's people kind of get caught up in the short term and don't have the ability to to think about the longer term when it comes to the the fear that they're having. What does it take for somebody to not get caught up in the shortened time horizon? Like what what does it look like to have a fear and be like really caught up in the moment, really got to get caught up in today and how this is going to affect me this week and yada, 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 and, and be able to step away from that? What does that actually look like from somebody on a if they are trying to step out of that short-term horizon. We'll be back to the interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program. I started running the 10WT in the beginning of 2020 and I've had over 150 people on counting go through it and they've seen amazing results both inside and out. If you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial, then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, here's what they had to say. My name is Bo, and the reason I joined the Tim Wick program uh, is really just to continue to uh, excel and get better at my physical health and well-being. I've done the Tim Wick uh, program before, and you know, really results so far, and every one of them, I've, I've lost weight each time I've done it. I've gotten better shape. I've also uh, just been healthy all the way around, um, including physical well-being, but also mental health. Uh, this last time, you know, I dropped about uh, five pounds. The class I did before, I probably down total around 20 pounds. My favorite part of the program, it's hard to say, but it's probably two things. One, um, all of the workouts, you know, just having something that's really, 
you know, motivates you to, to get up out of bed. And the equal parts uh, is probably just the, uh, the habits that you learn, you know, be able to take care of yourself for a long term. You know, it varies. I don't think there's any one silver bullet or magic formula for everyone to how to make that shift. But I think it is a, a process, first of all, of recognizing that the future is pretty broad spread, that it's not just one thing. And to recognize, again, that there are opportunities that are emerging and to really seek things that excite you. I mean, I hear that the brain is where biologically designed to live in fear, the amygdala dominates us. And uh, while I totally recognize that, I also ask, you know, who has an aspiration to live in fear? Do you know anyone who says, I really want to be in, in fear? No, we all have a hunger for hope and excitement. And so the way to feed that hunger is to start to look ahead and really force yourself initially, if you're afraid, to see that there are opportunities that are also emerging. And then to ask what, which of those opportunities really motivates and excites you. I mean, it's gonna be a very personal choice in terms of what your view of the future really ought to be. Yeah, it's, it sounds like to me, I think one of the things that allows me to not hopefully get caught up in fear too much is every single morning, I try to think about kind of the goals that I have moving forward in life. And, and that kind of starts my day off with this sense of hope and the sense of optimism, the sense of, of positivity. Are there habits and or routines that you've done over the years that have continually renewed your own personal sense of hope and your own personal narrative? It's complicated. Again, I think part of it is focusing on what actions and impact have you already achieved and what can you learn from that to get even more impact going forward? Part of it too, and it's a key theme in my book, is I believe that ultimately we're going to achieve a lot more and be much more effective in moving beyond fear if we come together into small groups. And I talk mm -hmm. about impact groups of three to 15 people at most, uh, small groups where you share an excitement about having impact in a certain area. And where you feed each other that excitement. I mean, each of you have that excitement, but it, it helps to be with others who share that. And uh, it keeps you going, keeps you motivated versus just trying to do it all in the isolation of your, of your room or whatever. Yeah, no, I think, I think that the impact groups thing is super key because I think a lot of people never voice their fears out loud to other people. And when they do, sometimes just voicing it out loud without the other person even saying anything can sometimes be the awareness that you need that the fear that you spoke out loud is kind of is somewhat irrational. And then some, and sometimes the other person will help justify that for you and, and realize that the fear is either unwarranted or the opportunity is bigger than it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, I'm a strong proponent of coming together it's, uh, and coming together in small groups. And then again, another key theme in my book is the notion of scaling impact by connecting these small groups in, on broader platforms where they can learn from each other together and achieve even more impact about the opportunities that really excite them. But 
it starts with that small group. And and what do you what does small groups look like in your life? Is it people who are in similar industries to you? Is it is it family members? Is it friends? What are like maybe small impact group examples that maybe you have leveraged and and had in your own life? Yeah, well, I think virtually anywhere that I've gone in my professional life, I've tried to focus on a small group of colleagues that I see really sharing my excitement and motivation. And then I think there are other small groups that where, you know, I'm pursuing interests and passions outside of work, but where, again, coming together in a small group with friends, family really helps to, to drive that. For sure. I feel like uh, a lot of people who are authors oftentimes, most of the time, write about a topic that has largely impacted them and, and largely affected their own life dramatically. And I know you talked about how one of the re- biggest reasons you wrote the book is when you were going around the, the world, you had seen this consistent theme of fear and so many other people. Do you feel like you wrote the book largely because you saw there was a bunch of fear in everybody else and you wanted to help other people? Or did you also feel like there is this internal fear that you have always to somewhat experience and you were trying to also like solve that yourself, if that makes sense? No, absolutely. I mean, I, I have made a lot of progress in my life on the journey beyond fear before I wrote the book, but there's always potential to continue to uh, to learn and to get more insight, I've I've often said that, I, and I've written eight books now, so this is not my first. And I've always said that I would write the book even if nobody ever read it, because the process of writing it for me has always generated new insight and ideas that I would have never had just in conversation or thinking about it. It's that process of trying to lay it all out that really starts to illuminate the, the new insights. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like that's got to be one of the most impactful things about writing a book in general. Now, what do you think has been the uh, kind of changing the subject a little bit? Because uh, I'm just so fascinated with people who who read so much. And if you're watching on YouTube, then you see a whole bunch of books in the background. And he's got other rooms that are filled with books as well. What do you think has been maybe one of the Obviously, you've had a bunch of different learning lessons, but what do you think has been the biggest, the most important reason or the most important outcome that you have been able to have in your own life, the biggest impact in your own life through reading so much that you have? I'm not asking the question in in as fluid of a way as I'd like to, but what has been the biggest impact that reading has had on your life, I think is the biggest, best way to ask it. You know, it's had huge impact in so many different ways and dimensions, but I would say as a generalization, the, the, the constant reading and across so many different uh, topic areas is that it has driven home to me the complexity of the world we live in. And that while it's understandable that we try to simplify and focus on a particular thing at a particular time, everything is connected. And if we lose sight of those connections, we're at risk of not really seeing what's out there. And so it's appreciating and respecting that complexity while at the same time drilling down into specific areas to get more insight. So 
it's realizing that there's so much complexity, but within the complexity, a lot of things are connected. Is is that what, is that kind of what you're saying? Well, within the complexity, again, it's com- it's complicated. There, right. There, there's a whole notion that's been a key theme in my work of what I call leverage points, which is in any complex system, there are certain areas that if you focus on them, you can achieve much greater impact with less effort. But you have to be thoughtful about the system and how things are connected and interacting with each other to really be able to see where those leverage points are and focus on them. And that's the way to get the most impact is focusing on leverage points within a broader complex system. Yeah. And again, I know this is a comp- another complex question, but when it comes to the, I really like that, the leverage points, because I think there are so many important leverage points and things that we can do in our daily life that are using our time most efficiently so that we're doing the one thing that provides 80% of the outcome rather than doing 99 things that give us 20% of the outcome. What have been some of the biggest leverage points in your life with respect to maybe some of the habits that you've done? Like, Are there biggest leverage point habits that you feel like you've done and that have provided you with some of the biggest results or the 80% of the results, if you will? Boy, I'm not sure um, in the context of leverage points. I, I mean, again, to me, one of the key things that has helped me is this notion of coming together in small groups and not trying mm-hmm. to just do everything myself. And so that to me has helped me get a lot more impact than I would have gotten if I had just been sitting alone trying to sort through all these things. It's um, yeah, it's it's complicated, but um, and you know, I've been in Silicon Valley, and one of the motivations, one of the reasons I was drawn here was because I saw digital technology as a key leverage point, if you will, in the social and economic systems that we live in. That you know, it's going to drive significant change and really understanding what those technologies are and how they're evolving can mm. help great, create much greater impact. Mm. That's great. The, the technology and the, and the small impact groups, I think those are two really big leverage points that uh, you just addressed there. Before I ask the last question, let's say somebody is listening to this episode and they hear that we need to not see the threats, but we need to see the opportunities. I need to make sure I expand my time horizon and and all these sorts of things. But this person knows that tomorrow they might still wake up in a state of fear because there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of challenge in their personal life and maybe their relationships and their career, what have you. What is your message, the simple message to that person to try to move away from that constant state of fear? Well, again, I, I go into it in much greater detail in the book, but it's this notion of really making explicit the personal narrative that is driving your choices and actions and emotions today and committing, first of all, realizing that that personal narrative in most cases is very limiting in terms of our ability to have impact and that we need to evolve those that personal narrative and continue on that effort over time and act on it versus just sitting there thinking about what it could be or should be acting on it so you can start to see real impact and that will help to overcome the fear that uh, again I, I don't believe fear gets eliminated 
right? It will still be there, but you'll have other emotions that will motivate you to move beyond the fear. Hmm. That's great. That's great. Finding a, a personal narrative that does provide you with a lot of hope, a lot of optimism, a lot of positivity will get you beyond that. That's, that's great. Well, before I ask the last question, I just want to acknowledge you for creating such an important book on a topic that is so crippling for so many that I know so many people are going to get such great value from. So I really want to acknowledge you for putting in the work to putting in the work and the research to put together a work like this. Um, but I know mo- a lot of people are going to want to go learn more about you and, and learn more and, and support. So you guys make sure you go get the journey beyond fear. Uh, you can go get it uh, on Amazon and, and everywhere there that books are sold and make sure you go follow John of johnhagel.com. Uh, is there any other great place where people can go learn more about you and support you and stuff like that? Uh, well, I'm very active on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. I post on those every day. I share a lot of the things that I'm reading and coming across that I think are interesting for other people. Awesome. Great. Well, last question here real quick. I know you got to get out of here, but I believe that getting closer to the best version of yourself is both a constant journey and a unique journey. I believe that the way that you're going to get closer to the best version of yourself is going to be a little bit different than the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of yourself. So the last question is for you personally, if there are three things that you could personally do or personally work on to get closer to the best version of John Hagel that you could possibly be, then what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? Well, one of them is I'm in the early stages of creating a new center that will be offer programs based on the book. And that's certainly something that I think will help me to achieve much more impact and potential. I'm still looking for a personal partner in life to share my journey with, and I think that will help me. And I'm just, uh, you know, constantly looking ahead to try to anticipate other opportunities that could help me to have even more impact. And that's another thing that I will keep doing. I'm not going to lock in and just say what I'm currently doing is the biggest and best thing that I could be doing. That's inspiring. That's awesome. Well, those, those were three great things, John. I know that everybody's going to love it. Y'all make sure you go get the journey beyond fear and you start making sure that you don't succumb to risk aversion in a short-term time horizon and a zero-sum view of the world and you create that personal narrative for yourself that does lead you to hope and, and positivity and optimism like John talked about here today. But John, that's all we got. Really appreciate your time. I appreciate your interest. Thanks very much. Such a great interview with John Hagel. I mean, if you know somebody who is in a constant state of fear, worry, and or overwhelm, then be sure you share them this episode and send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And remember, in order to live beyond our fears, which is inevitably something we'll have to experience is fear, in order to live beyond that, we can do a few really practical things. Number one, create a personal narrative for yourself, a view of your future that points out the opportunities that you have rather than the threats that are chasing you. Secondly, create a daily or at least a weekly habit that gets you in touch with that narrative and gets you to take a look at those opportunities. And thirdly, get into a small impact group of people that you know, like, and trust. So those people can help you overcome your fears and you can help them overcome theirs. Because if you can move beyond your fear, it'll help you show up and show out on a daily basis and continue to get closer and closer to your best you.